Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest this time out. Joining the Raw Attitude podcast for this episode, we have one of the hosts of Tuning Japanese, a podcast where three guys in their 30s talk about anime, which is also available on the Questionable Endeavor Network. From the great Hawkeye state of Iowa, it is none other than Bill. So Bill, would you care to introduce yourself to the Raw Attitude podcast listeners and let them know why they should be tuning in to Tuning Japanese? Hi, Henry. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, one minor correction. I actually live in Illinois. Oh, okay. Um, we are right on the Mississippi River, so I work in Iowa. Work in Iowa, but not, not live in Iowa. <laughs> right, yep. Do, yep. I think Andy and Josh, the other tuning Japanese guys, they're, they're both in Iowa, right? Josh actually lives in Illinois also. He's about a block away from me. Oh, there you go. There's that impeccable research I'm known for, messing it up right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> no, it's, it's easy to do because the Quad Cities is, like I said, we're back and forth across the river all the time there you go well i'm i'm learning some new stuff as well <laughs> but uh yeah so would you would you care to tell the uh, fans about uh, tuning japanese uh yeah uh like you said we're three dudes in our 30s talk about anime brainchild of the network founder andrew um or andy as we call him on the show me him and josh who have been friends for uh, decades now, sit around, watch animes on a rotating schedule, and comment on them episode by episode. Usually, if it sucks, I'm drunk and angry. <laughs> I have noticed that on the show, yes. Yeah, there was a little less of that last season because it was my pick and it was Trigun, but uh, we've just started uh, Gurren Logan, the first episode, and it sucks, so yeah. uh, look for some drunken profanity. Gurren Login, I assume, is when you go to Gurren.com and it asks for your password. Is that what that is? The Gurren Login screen? Yeah. You know, that, uh, that's as good an explanation as any. They never, they never say what it means. <laughs> I, I listened to that uh, that this morning, actually, when I was uh, when I was on my, my drive to work. And uh, it's, it's off to a great start. I know it's not a great anime, but you're off to a great start with the anime. Or with this, with this particular anime, I should say. And cards on the table, this episode's not going to go up until like early October-ish. We're taping this on September 21st, and the new episode just went up. So presumably by the time this episode of the RAP goes up, there are going to be uh, potentially several episodes of the new the new Tuning Japanese uh, season, I guess you could call it, right? Yep, yep. We just divide them up by seasons. Um, I don't think we're doing any bonus episodes. Uh, I know Josh is going to be out for the month of October. Oh, uh, but I think we're going to soldier on, maybe bring in sometimes host Ray, Andy's mm-hmm. significant other. Sure. To kind of do that as a three-man panel uh, throughout the month of October. Very cool. 
It was actually funny too because I saw a couple weeks ago when Tuning Japanese came up in my podcast feed, I saw one of the things you were covering was The Newsroom. And I was like, huh, that must be an interesting anime about The Newsroom. You know, like what is that? Just like animated characters talking about uh, talking about news in some form or fashion. But it was actually the HBO show, The Newsroom. It was not an anime. So Yeah, we did a, a special summer viewing program where we basically just picked out something the other hosts hadn't seen, didn't have to follow the format. Um, and just watched them and talked about it. Uh, that was Andy's pick, actually. And although it's not a show I would have watched on purpose on my own, it turned out being really, really good. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, when I saw that, I was just I was just a little confused. I was like, huh, I wonder if an anime about a newsroom would be interesting. And then, of course, I'm just an idiot because it was actually about the, the other newsroom. So go figure. But uh, again, tuning Japanese. I always like to point out that tuning is spelled T-O-O-N-I-N-G as in cartoon. Because typically, I think if people hear tuning, they think like T-U-N-I-N-G. So again, people, T-O-O-N-I-N-G, if you're looking for tuning Japanese. And I recommend that you do, because it's a great show. I know absolutely nothing about anime, but I still listen to the show every time. And uh, you don't need to know anything about anime to to listen to the show. So I I don't know anything about anime, and I'm on it. Right, exactly. (laughs) There you go. So it works perfectly. But you know a lot about wrestling, I assume, right? I've been a fan for quite a while, yeah, so I think I, I know a thing or two. There you go. See, see I'm going with my little uh, segue there. So, with that being said, are you ready to dive into Monday Night Raw? I absolutely, I am. Then let's do it. So, it is Monday, October 5th, 1998. Funny enough, our timeline is actually starting to line up, because this episode is going up early October, and this episode is early October, so that works well. So, it's Monday, October 5th, 1998, and we are... Pre-taped six days in advance from the Breslin Center on the campus of Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan. Now, normally at this point, I would bring up all the other noteworthy pay-per-views and TV shows which took place in the same arena. But the only other shows are a 1999 Sunday Night Heat taping and a 2000 episode of Thunder. So, (laughs) sorry, MSU students. (laughs) That's, That's all they ever got there. So we open with a video montage recapping last week's festivities between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. And Bill, I'm not sure how caught up on this you are, so I'm going to start off with a quick reminder for you and for everybody else as to where we stand going into tonight's episode. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. So basically, The Undertaker and Kane at breakdown simultaneously pinned Stone Cold Steve Austin in a triple threat match, which resulted in Vince McMahon snatching Stone Cold's smoking skull belt running away with it, and hilariously flipping him off. The next night on Raw, Vince was going to present the Winged Eagle WWF title to either The Undertaker or Kane, but Austin interrupted and awesomely rode in on a Zamboni in one of the first instances of him driving an unusual vehicle into an arena. So from there, Austin beat the crap out of McMahon, and he was subsequently arrested. Once Stone Cold was taken off to jail, it appeared that Vince was ready to resume the ceremony, where he would award the title to one of the Brothers of Destruction... But instead, he changed his mind because neither of them protected him from Austin. Instead of handing the belt over to one of them, Mr. McMahon booked a title match for the upcoming Judgment Day pay-per-view, The Undertaker vs. Kane, with special guest referee Stone Cold Steve Austin. Vince then shit-talked the Brothers of Destruction and flipped them both off, which proved to be a very bad idea. Taker and Kane beat the living shit out of the chairman, culminating with The Undertaker picking up the steel ring steps and dropping them on Vince's ankle. Mr. McMahon was then taken away in an ambulance, and that is where we currently stand. So, Bill, are you all caught up on that now? Certainly am, yep. 
Excellent. So do you remember some of these moments? Do you remember the Zamboni and the, the breaking of Vince's ankle from uh, years past? Uh, I remember the Zamboni, absolutely. That's kind of a great micro gimmick of, like you said, Austin just randomly driving whatever bit of machinery he can get his hands on. And yeah, more no. on that next week. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> he does it again next week. Okay, so now that we're caught up, we queue up the opening credits, but no pyro or scanning of the crowd. But don't worry, I always make sure to jot down some of the most entertaining signs. So here's a quick list of the ones I found. I like cheese. I'd rather be in Stu Hart's dungeon. The people's balls with an arrow pointing downward. D'Lo mania is running wild. Orgasmic pleasures playing off Val Venus's promo from two weeks ago. I wet myself. <laughs> Goldberg sucks Dave and Blair's cocks. Sable, I want to be your hoe. Hey Val, teabag a bitch. Two side by side, two side by side signs which read, "I just did your sister and all of her friends." And my favorite, "What's everybody want?" Head, "What's everybody need?" Head, "What do you end up with?" Hand. So, <laughs> I missed that one. Yeah. They fit that all on one sign quite clearly. Uh, were there any you noticed that I happened to miss by any chance? Uh, I, you know, I was looking for great ones, and I think there was one that simply said, Suck it, Sable, which I thought, yeah. Uh, it wasn't a lot of uh, creativity there. Simple and to the point. Yeah. There was a good one last week where somebody held up a sign that said, I, I got a chuckle at it for some reason because the sign just said, Sable, you, me, burrito? So... <laughs> Instead of, like, the overt sexuality, it's like, hey, maybe, you know, maybe we can uh, just go get uh, get a burrito sometime. You know, why not? I did note the uh, the sister one. I missed the and her friends. Yeah. Um, I think there was also one uh, that just simply said more drunk. So <laughs> more drunk maybe than Austin, presumably. I don't know. Yeah, no, there was no no context. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the maybe the guy next to him had a sign that said drunk. So he had to one up him. Right. So we open the show with a European title match, champion X-Pac, accompanied by China, versus challenger D'Lo Brown, accompanied by Mark Henry. So if you recall last week, D'Lo defeated five other mid-carders in a six-man elimination match in order to become the number one contender for the European title that he lost to X-Pac two weeks ago. So D'Lo's tights, by the way, still say European champion on them, so that's either a spoiler or the man needs to get some new gear. And early on in the match, much like last week, a process server came to the ring and handed some papers to China, and we saw Mark Henry looking on and smiling. China crumpled up the papers and threw them on the ground, but it appears that the world's strongest man is playing some mind games with the object of his affection. So as a quick side note, Bill, you're a, you're a Game of Thrones fan, right? Oh, absolutely. Yep. So without spoiling anything, this angle where a strong man is trying to win the heart of an Amazon woman is kind of reminding me of how Tormund is lusting over Brienne and she's just not having it. So would, would you say perhaps this angle inspired the uh, Brienne-Tormund storyline on Game of Thrones? I think it did. We'll have to see if uh, Tormund brings her up for a sexual harassment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm then, sure in Westeros that would go really far. Right. And... Uh... Meanwhile, Jon Snow's got the Night's King in a chinlock uh, the whole time so they can do their thing. Yeah. That, now that I would like to see, actually. Well, yeah, that would be pretty good. <laughs> hey, well, season eight, we'll see. It's the final season. They have to pay that off somehow. Exactly. So the finish of the match came when X-Pac was Irish whipped into the ropes by D'Lo, who then faked an injury, and with the ref tending to D'Lo, Mark Henry grabbed X-Pac's foot and tripped him up. From there, Pac leaped over the top rope and attempted to hit Henry with a crossbody splash, 
but Henry awesomely caught him in midair. He then smashed Pox back into the ring post and rolled him back into the ring. From there, D'Lo went to the top rope and hit his low-down frog splash onto Pox's back, and that was enough to get the one, the two, and the three. Your winner and the new WWF European champion for the second time, D'Lo Brown, and presumably he will now relocate back to Madrid. And after the match, China rolled into the ring and stared down D'Lo and Mark Henry, but she did not attempt to get physical with them, so perhaps those papers she was given had some sort of bearing on that. I guess we shall see later on tonight. And Henry then blew her some kisses before he and D'Lo triumphantly walked up the ramp and headed backstage. So, Bill, what did you think of our opening European title match? <laughs> One of three main events that was actually announced as, which I don't know. The main event in the opening match, just like WrestleMania. Yeah, which to me seems a little sketchy, but okay. Uh, yeah. Overall, it's a great match. I had uh, forgotten. You know, Dilo is a, a pretty solid worker. Yeah, absolutely. And the only I thing. Also, that, uh, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. The only thing about uh, Dilo that I've always wondered about, and it persists to this day, is the chest protector. How is that legal? <laughs> well, it's because he clearly has an injury. I mean, you know, he's he's been cleared to wear it. Fair enough. I mean, it's been it was what June when that happened. So we're going on four months now. It's a pretty serious injury for my money. How did it uh, get grandfathered into Roman Reigns, though? <laughs> so that's a fair point, too. Somebody should really uh, hold his feet to the fire on that one because he's getting an unfair advantage, especially with that spear. Right. You know, that's a little little extra oomph there with that spear. I also, I liked uh, particularly the spot in this match where X-Bot jumped over the top rope and Mark Henry just caught him like it was absolutely nothing. It was really impressive to see. I know it's probably, for Mark Henry, it's easy to catch uh, you know, a 150-pound guy out of midair, but seeing Pac just do that leap over the top rope and just... Henry catches him in midair, like with with basically zero effort whatsoever. was was really impressive. Yeah, we've kind of uh, gotten jaded about it, but it's amazing how powerful Mark Henry really is. Absolutely, not quite the world's strongest man, since I think he finished like 14th in those Olympics. But you know, the world's 14th strongest man doesn't have the same ring to it, I guess. No, not at all. But yeah, I've heard somewhere some explanation about that that it was multiple events in the the totals added up or but oh, okay sounds like a bunch of bullshit honestly yeah it does <laughs> sounds like some wwe spin a little bit there yep but anyway yeah so that's the result D'Lo brown your new european champion so xbox reign lasts two whole weeks and now D'Lo is a two-time european champion so good to have the belt back on him up next jim ross and jerry the king lawler laid out some of tonight's matches for us and then we went to a live feed of what lawler called quote an undisclosed medical center. From there, we saw Vince McMahon lying in a hospital bed as a nurse helped him sip from a styrofoam cup. And hilariously, Vince gets pissed off when he realizes the cup is full of grape juice, and he yells at the nurse, I want apple juice, as though he was a three-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. I thought that was pretty hilarious. Right, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Must uh, They must not have had a Welch's sponsorship deal or anything right then. yeah. Ooh, that'd be good someday. There you go. Yeah. I mean, at this point, Welch's is probably a little out of their uh, sponsor grade when they're getting, like, super soaker and karate fighters. But, you know, got to start somewhere. So for some reason, we then cut to footage from earlier today where the oddities were playing football with the insane clown posse who are somehow still newsworthy here in 2017 thanks to that recent Juggalo march. But the oddities didn't actually know how to play football, so it all went haywire. I'm not sure how this was at all relevant to anything, but it did kind of lead us into our next segment. So after the commercial break, the newly heel-turned headbangers make their way to the ring. To prove that they are now bad guys, 
Thrasher shoves Tony Chimmel, and, disgustingly, Mosh blows a snot rocket right onto referee Jimmy Corderas. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, that was... Oh. That was nice. <laughs> Disgusting. Oh. So Mosh then grabs a mic and calls out the insane clown posse, who I guess we could say are local heroes since they're from Detroit, which is only about 90 minutes from tonight's venue. But instead of ICP, however, the oddities show up at the top of the ramp, so the headbangers tell them they don't want to fight them, they want the clowns. And sure enough, ICP eventually does emerge from backstage, and the headbangers then say they want them all to themselves, and they tell the oddities to head back to the locker room. And surprisingly, ICP is actually cool with this, so the oddities do indeed head to the back, and ICP storms the ring. And then what follows is actually a pretty impressive beating, as the headbangers just proceed to kick their painted rapping asses. Violent J took a stun gun, Shaggy 2 Dope took a second rope powerbomb, and of course, because it's 1998, both clowns were given unprotected chair shots to the skull, which likely ended up improving their rhyming skills. So on this night, if ICP were to ask the question, fucking headbangers, how do they work? The answer would be stiff. They worked you quite stiff on this night. <laughs> So I, the oddity. Oh, sorry, God. I just I love Jr.'s call of you know ICP aren't wrestlers. And it's like no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Although they do claim to be. I've seen like several interviews where they're like, yeah, we're trained wrestlers, blah blah. It's like, yeah, well, I think this was pretty much you know one of their first times actually working for a, a real promotion, you know. So yeah, not just so they, they didn't give them too much to do. Yeah, the oddities eventually ran back down to the ring to chase Mosh and Thrasher away, but the damage had already been done. Thrasher then grabbed a microphone and cut what was clearly one of the most clever promos we have ever heard. ICP! <laughs> you suck! So, Bill, what did you think of the Headbangers making everyone's favorite horrorcore band look like a couple of insane clown pussies? I wasn't quite sure the point of it, to be honest. I mean, I <laughs> guess maybe ICP were way, way bigger at that time. Yeah, um, I've never so. really been a fan, so to me it's like, okay, uh, you're beating them up. Yeah, um, well, that's that's good for most of fans, I assume. They're probably like, yeah, fucking kick their asses. Yeah, that's kind of where I was. Um, yeah. I did have to wonder about the headbangers also yelling at them, we're going to show you what real heavy metal is. And it's like, well, oh. they're they're not heavy metal. I, yeah. <laughs> maybe you don't know what real heavy metal is. Yeah. Um, well, I know they know Marilyn Manson because they seem to reference them like every five seconds and wear Marilyn Manson shirts, but... Yeah, right. I don't, I don't know. This this whole gimmick with the headbangers is it seems like they've kind of they're starting to wear out their welcome a little bit. So they're, they're like, well, we'll turn them heel and that'll make everybody uh, fucking love them again. But, you know, within a matter of uh, a couple months, they're they're no longer together. And and Mosh is on to better things, clearly, if you oh, know what's yeah. coming up for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, so the Insane Clown Posse basically shows up just to get their asses kicked and to take unprotected chair shots to the head, which... It's kind of surprising that they would, I, I don't know, that surprised me that they would just uh, be cool with that. Oh, I'll, I'll let you answer your phone. Guy. Sorry, sorry, that was a telemarketer. <laughs> oh, it happens, it I happens. I forgot to put that on silent, sorry. I think it was uh, ICP calling into our show to defend themselves. Right. I gave him the number ahead of time, I told him we'd be talking about him, so. I was wondering why it was a Michigan number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we then cut to footage from the previous night on Sunday Night Heat where Stone Cold Steve Austin grabbed an axe and apparently threatened some of the production team into telling him which cable controlled the feed to Vince McMahon's hospital room. And when one of the crew members told him, he took the axe and chopped the cord, causing Vince's screen to cut out. So my question is, will Steven Regal be upset that Austin is stealing his gimmick before he even gets to debut his new character? 
I think that's a fair point. I, I think, think he could is. be he could uh, show off that he's a real man by then fixing said cable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, I usually don't mention the sponsors of Raw on this show, but when Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler were taking us through them this week, there were two that really stood out for me. So number one was Propecia, the prescription drug that treats male pattern baldness and enlarged prostates. So I <laughs> guess they didn't get the memo that the WWF is mostly catering to the teenage demographic at this point. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I two, had to write that down myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the other sponsor that jumped out, number two was Stone Cold Metal, a CD with Steve Austin's face on it, which contains a bunch of classic heavy metal songs such as Rock You Like a Hurricane and God of Thunder. So, Bill, do you remember that CD existing? Because I damn sure do not. Not only do I remember it existing, I, st- I own it. It's still on my iPod. And I occasionally oh. listen to it. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, so it's just like a compilation of a bunch of uh, heavy metal songs, essentially. Yeah, a bunch of classic heavy metal stuff, so... So maybe Steve Austin can show the headbangers what real heavy metal looks like. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I'm actually surprised they could get the rights to all those songs. So, hey, good for them. I guess it just shows how, how much of a juggernaut Steve Austin was at that time. Yeah. And by that, you mean Juggalo? Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. I'm glad, I'm glad Steve not... Austin was not Juggalo. <laughs> I'm glad it's not Steve Austin in clown makeup. At... Oh, God. <laughs> Somebody Photoshop that. I'd like to see that. Steve Austin with Violent J's face. So, so we then cut back to Vince McMahon in his hospital room, where his nurse informs him that he has a visitor, much to the chairman's dismay, because he suspects that it may be one of his many enemies. And from there, well, I'm going to play the clip for you here, because we eventually end up being introduced to a new character in the WWF, and he turns out to be quite popular. A really, a really big fella wants to come see you. I don't want any visitors. Just my family, I told you. Just my immediate family. I don't I want any visitors. Uh-oh. He's really big, and he's threatening the staff. Uh-oh. He threatened one of the orderlies. I don't want any damn visitors! I don't want any visitors! Turn that frown upside down! Vince, it's me! How did you find me? I saw what happened, I felt really bad, so I brought you some presents. Take a hold of these. <laughs> Aren't they colorful? And some candy. I know that you like the sweet stuff. Vinny's got a sweet tooth. Come on, come on, open them up. This is great. This is great. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm, you know I'm in a lot of pain. I know you're in a lot of pain. That's why I brought you these. Those things are delicious. And I'll tell you what, I brought another guest here who really wants to see you bad. Look at you brought one. I brought another guest for you. Someone who really wants to see you bad. What? You brought him. No, no, no. It's not a him. It's a she. It's a she. I brought you some female entertainment, and I think you know what I mean. She does a trick with a dog that you won't believe. Vince McMahon, say hello no. to your ball. Hey, Vinny, how you doing? I came to make you feel better, Vinny. I sure did. Here's a rainbow for you to let you know that there are brighter days ahead. And I'm here to spread nothing but smiles, so I have this wonderful... Right here, keep it far show away from the trick with the dog. Show me the trick with the dog. Don't show me any damn trick with the dog. Yeah, it'll make you feel so much better. You'll just love it, I guarantee you. You sure will. I don't want See, I can candy. tell the difference it's making already. I don't want... Smiling. I brought one other visitor, another special guest. What the hell are you doing? Mr. Sacco! <laughs> Say hello to Mr. Sacco! 
Mr. Sparkle knows you've been feeling mighty bad, so he's gonna give your boo-boo a hey, big nurse. kiss. <laughs> You're gonna what? Hey, hey, ah! No, Mick, please. Please, just Mr. leave. Sparkle! Please leave, please. Damn it, leave. Take this crap with you. Take it out. Take it all out. Get out! Mr. Sucko. Okay, so this is a pretty famous Attitude Era moment, and if you're a fan of the time period, you're probably well familiar with this by now. But in case you aren't, allow me to quickly recap what you just heard here. So Vince's visitor ends up being Mankind, who tries to cheer the chairman up by bringing him some balloons and a half-eaten box of chocolates. And by the way, I love how the nurse begins the segment by saying that she didn't want to let Mankind in, but quote, He's really big and he's threatening the staff. So let that be a lesson to you folks. If you want to visit someone in the hospital and they initially say no, just start threatening the orderlies and they will immediately let you right in without calling security. So solid life lessons from the WWF there. They didn't have, uh, what's it, what was her name, Alexis Wubble? They didn't have her on staff. Oh, who's that? Sorry, the, Alexis. The, the nurse that was keeping the cop from taking the blood samples here a month or so ago. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, so I don't think she would have let Mankind in. So, well, from there, Mankind brings in a special guest, Yerple the Clown, who proceeds to start making balloon animals for Mr. McMahon. But, of course, the most noteworthy moment from this hospital visit is when Foley ducks under Vince's bed and holds up his hand to reveal a sock with a crudely drawn face on it. That's right, folks, this is the truly historic debut of Mr. Socko. So Mick tries to make Vince feel better by having Socko kiss Vince's injured leg, which, of course, proves to be a bad idea. The chairman then angrily tells Mick and Yerple to leave, and in a moment which probably helped to get the character over even more than they had planned, a frustrated Vince blurts out, Mr. Socko. So Bill, what did you think of Mankind's hospital visit and the reveal of everyone's favorite sock puppet? Well, Mick Foley is my favorite wrestler of all time, so... Oh, good choice. I pretty much popped this entire time. (laughs) Um, And the debut of Mr. Socko is one of the reasons why this is the episode I picked to be on. Excellent. Um, so no, I was I was a hundred percent on board this whole time. The only thing that gave me pause was he brought female entertainment, and she does a trick with a dog. You have to right. see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how that's how he hyped it up. Like, oh, she does a trick with a dog you wouldn't believe, and it's a it's a balloon animal dog, obviously for you for the listeners out there who didn't get that. And and Yerple, I think, actually gets another moment about uh, a year from now, too, in one of the highest-rated segments of Raw of all time, somehow. But, uh, yeah, I think, again, classic segment, really enjoyable. Mick Foley is just so goddamn ridiculous. I I really wonder if the plan going in was for them to make Mr. Sacco a recurring thing, or if they were just like, huh, I wonder if we could do something with this, you know? Yeah, I I can't imagine that was planned. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Sacco! And in, in my head, for some reason, I thought there was, like, a little bit of a gap between, like, when Mr. Sacco debuts here and when Mankind actually, you know, busts him out. But uh, spoiler alert from next for next episode, uh, Mr. Sacco is on the next episode, so there's no gap in between. We just go right into Sacco-mania, and uh, we actually get a Sacco chant next week, too. So he Sacco got over pretty quickly, maybe quicker than any other superstar in WWE history. Only took him one week, so good for him. But, uh, yeah, great stuff. Great segment, and uh, and more to come from the hospital room. Spoiler alert, we're going to go back to that for uh, for another classic segment a little bit later on. So after a commercial break, Sable heads to ringside to join the commentary team. 
and when she does, we can see the Sable superfan, a.k.a. the so far unnamed Tori, sitting behind JR and Lawler. So Sable shares a handshake with her, and Tori then continues to look on admiringly at her hero. Might we have our first ever lesbian storyline in the WWF? Surprisingly, I think the answer is no, a rare showing of restraint in the Attitude Era. So we then segue into our next match, Vader versus Mark Marrow, who is accompanied by your new WWF Women's Champion, Jacqueline. So early on in the match, Sable informs the commentators she is now training to become a wrestler because she wants to win the aforementioned women's title from Jacqueline. Actually, I have to uh, pause you there for one second. Sure. She actually says she's training as hard as she can because she wants to be WWF champion. Oh, wow. I actually paused that and backed it up. I was like, she can't possibly have just said that. Did she actually say that, WWF champion? Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, you know what? She was pretty over at one point. She, she may at one point have been the second most over person on the roster behind Stone Cold. So you know what? You might want to put the belt on her. Well, that's true. I, I suppose it could have happened at some point. Yeah. I mean, about a year from now, we have a tease that China might get a world title shot. So, you know, why not? Why not, Sable? Be equal opportunity uh, with your with your world title shots there, WWF. So obviously, with the, and obviously once, of course, you know, when Sable does train to become a wrestler, this is going to lead to many five-star classics between her and Jackie, you know, just so you know. Right. So the Vader-Mero match was actually pretty lousy, in my humble opinion, and it was rather strange because Jacqueline kept interfering right in front of the referee, but he didn't disqualify Mero for some reason. So at one point, Jacqueline went to the top rope and tried to hit Vader with a crossbody, but she jumped way too far, resulting in her essentially going over Vader's back. <laughs> However, though, he did manage to recover and pick her up, but the referee convinced Vader to put her right back down. And then, while the ref was tending to Jacqueline, Mark Merrow snuck up from behind and hit the Mastodon with a low blow. He then went to the top rope and hit Vader with his version of the Shooting Star Press, which he calls the Marvelocity, and that was enough to score the three count. Yet again, Vader jobs to someone half his size. And also, when they show the replay of the Marvelocity, much like what happened at Breakdown, we see that Mero's foot actually hit the top rope on his way down, so I'm thinking he may want to retire that move as soon as possible before he breaks his fucking neck. Yeah. And I, after the match... Torture name and all. Yeah. And after the match, Jacqueline grabs a microphone and challenges Sable to come into the ring, which she does. However... Mark Marrow stands between them and tells Sable she was never able to satisfy him, which results in Sable giving Marrow one of the weakest-looking slaps you'll ever see. And from there, Jackie jumps Sable from behind, and she pulls out a pair of scissors from her boot. She then proceeds to cut off a chunk of Sable's hair, and Marrow and Jackie then head up the aisle, with Jackie holding up the chunk of hair to taunt Sable. To which I say, why is Jacqueline suddenly stealing Jeff Jarrett's gimmick from weeks ago? I certainly wouldn't mind if this led to a hair-versus-hair match between the two of them, but alas, I, I don't think that's in the cards. So, Bill, what did you think of the Mero vader match and the subsequent Sable-Jacqueline shenanigans? I love Vader, but yeah, he is definitely in his decline right now. Um, oh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Yeah, I hate watching him job. Um, and it was weird that he was scared of Jacqueline the whole time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, she's the women's champion. I mean, come on. Right. And he just slumps away afterward after getting dick punched yeah. instead of getting mad and getting back in the ring and killing both of them. Yeah, uh, it's it's sad where it, he is. It really is. And yeah, I just could not care anymore about the Jacqueline and Sable. And OK, you cut a piece of her hair extension off. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about where we are. They're, they're still trying to keep this like 
a thing because I mean Sable versus Jacqueline that feud's been going on for probably three months no four months actually because I think she debuted in June but Sable versus Mark Marrow has been going on for almost I think a year now at this point it's been you know quite the slog I mean Mark Marrow has basically just been feuding with his own wife since I think last November or December when he came back from injury so not not too much to do with Marrow they really don't do too much with him so yep. but now are you ready for the sad part of the show uh yeah. <laughs> so Sable getting that free trip to Supercuts was not the only noteworthy thing to come out of that match because and it pains me to say this, that was the final Monday night raw match for the man called Vader. I was that afraid was you were gonna it. say that. <laughs> That's the last one. After a stellar run with WCW from nineteen ninety to ninety five, Vader debuted in the WWF at the ninety six Royal Rumble. And let's just say that he didn't have the most storied career while he was there. As crazy as it is to think, Vader did not win a single belt in his nearly three-year run with the company. His initial heel run with the WWF seemed very promising, but they never pulled the trigger on a world title run with him, and he essentially spent the past year acting as a 450-pound jobber. And in fact, his final two matches on Raw were pinfall losses to Mark Merrow and Al Snow, so that shows you just how much they thought of him at this point. But so, as is customary, we must now send Vader to Wrestler Heaven. a favorite highlight from the WWF tenure of that big fat piece of shit? I think my favorite thing he did, um, and I always said this, he kind of started the let's beat up the boss gimmick when he Vader bombed ah. um, Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla Monsoon. Yep. Yeah. Um, I actually have that Raw magazine cover. Um, yeah. And I was so excited when he was going to come to WWE. You know, I'm watching the vignettes with him and Jim Cornette. I'm telling Andy, this guy's going to be awesome. And Man, this is a rare miss for WWE that WCW seemed to get right. Yeah, absolutely. It started off pretty promising with, um, I'd say probably about until like offhand, maybe SummerSlam 96 when he had the match with Shawn Michaels and he threw his little hissy fit in the ring with him. Yep. And then from there, they they just kind of seemed to put him on the back burner. You know, I, I can't believe he didn't even get like at least, you know, like a, a cursory tag title run with somebody, you know, but no, nothing, not not even a single belt to win. So really, really quite sad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, any time he busted out the moonsault from the top rope was, was pretty impressive, in my opinion. But at this point, yeah, I, I think they soured on him at this point because of uh, his, his weight was not where they wanted it to be. I know there was an ongoing thing with him and Jim Ross, and Jim Ross was taking a lot of crap because Vader wouldn't be uh, wasn't losing any weight, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, practically, I think, I think gaining weight, in fact. So I think they just decided to cut their losses shortly after this. But 
but god damn it, WWF, come on, it's Vader, and yet you fucked it up. I suppose so. he was probably past his prime age-wise also by the time he, he hit WWF. True. But I still feel like they could have at least given him one run with the title at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, during his during his run, they gave a, a run to both Sid and The Undertaker, who were, you know, your, your standard big guys. So Vader's a big guy, he can, and he can have great matches. So Oh, absolutely. You know, Him and Sid were tag partners. I mean, there's no reason that one yeah. shouldn't be uh, above the other, really. There you go. Re- reunite the Masters of the Powerbomb, put some tag titles on them. That's right. They can have a match at the White Castle of Fear. Right. Yeah. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Sid Bart, too, honestly. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Sid... He was just so, I mean, he would do occasionally do like really stupid stuff like those, those promos where he'd fuck up and he'd be like, I have to do it again. And it'd be like, no, we're, we're live. <laughs> but yeah, I love those too. Again. Those, those are just part of the charm. You're, oh God, what was that? What was the famous one he does? You're, You're half the man I am and I have half the brain that you do. Yep. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So many good moments. But yeah, Sid, Sid, I mean. I always liked Sid, too, because he just look, he looks really intimidating when you see him. And he looks and may very well be legitimately crazy. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but then, you know, when, when softball season rolled around in April, he had to, he had to depart. So, it is what it is. Which is kind of crazy in its own right, honestly. Yeah, I know. What position does he play when he plays softball? That's what I want to know. Go the strikes old... me as a catcher. Can't move very much. I was going to say the old joke of any position he wants to. That's exactly. Wherever he damn well pleases. Oh, man. So anyway, R.I.P. Vader, off to Wrestler Heaven, and yeah, ugh, just sad, just sad. So we then cut back to Vince's hospital room, where his nurse is attempting to stick a thermometer in his mouth in order to take his temperature, but the chairman keeps resisting. My question here is, is it really necessary for the nurse to take his temperature? He's in the hospital for a broken leg, not the fucking flu. It, I mean, I'm no healthcare professional, but that seems a bit unnecessary. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose if the skin got broke, they might be checking for infection or something. But uh, yeah, it seemed like they were doing an awful lot that wasn't necessary, wasn't needed. Yeah, yeah. He's in a, almost a half ER, half hospital room. It's not even like a regular <laughs> yeah. suite. I know. It almost looks like they just set some, some room up backstage or something. Right, I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Strange. So after a commercial break, we get another vignette for real man's man, Stephen Regal. This week we're told he's incredibly manly because he doesn't drink orange juice from the carton. He squeezes the juice out of the oranges and into a glass using his bare hands. And then, at this point in his life, as soon as they said cut, he presumably poured vodka directly into the glass. <laughs> so, so, Bill, what did you think of Stephen Regal drinking such a masculine, hand-squeezed beverage? Well, we, we left out the most important part. He drinks it with pulp and all. Oh, that's right. That uh, is important, yes. Yes, uh, which means I must be... Tough as hell, because I get it on purpose. So, <laughs> I mean, I know it, it goes nowhere, but god damn, are these funny. <laughs> I, I agree. The first one cracked me up where he's like, it was when he was chopping the wood, and it just starts with him chopping a tree, and then, you know, seconds later, he's standing on top of this massive pile of, of firewood that's like, you know, 10 feet high. And he just, every single time, he seems to like, just give this, this look into the camera where he like, nods his head like yeah i'm awesome so i, I think it fantastic. could have really gone somewhere if they would have gone for it uh yeah alas it, it, at least it leads to a very a very uh strong theme song for him though exactly <laughs> can't wait I, I don't know when he's going to debut it's not next week so i'm guessing maybe the week after i don't know yeah, we'll see. i don't even remember him actually wrestling as this gimmick yeah <laughs> i could look it up but i also like want to be surprised you know so exactly 
typically when I watch these episodes, like I know for cer- for certain things, I know certain things are happening on these episodes. Like I obviously knew the Vince McMahon hospital thing was coming up because he got injured last week. But a lot of the time I'm going in where, you know, I'm just going in blind. I'm not reading the results ahead of times. I want to relive it. You know, I, I want to have that same feeling I had in 98. So yeah, in this case, I don't know when Regal's coming, but apparently he's coming soon because we've already had about four weeks of these vignettes. So <laughs> any day now. And now it's time for our next match, a rematch from the breakdown pay-per-view eight days prior, Edge versus Owen Hart. So when Edge is making his entrance, Jim Ross says that we now know that the mysterious man who has been popping up during Edge's matches lately is actually his younger brother, Christian. Huh. Edge and Christian. Good luck getting over with two stupid names like that. <laughs> Come on. Uh, ridiculous. So when Owen comes to the ring, we see he's not actually dressed to wrestle, and we also get footage from last night on Heat, where he essentially let X-Pac pin him without putting up a fight. Apparently, Owen is distraught over the fact that he, kayfabe, injured Dan Severn last week when he hit him with the same tombstone pile driver that he used to legitimately almost paralyze Steve Austin at SummerSlam 97. It's the classic work designed to look like a shoot playing off a real-life work that accidentally became a shoot. Standard. Standard stuff. So Owen grabs a mic, and, well, I'm just going to play the clip for you here, because it's retroactively quite creepy to hear Owen, of all people, tearfully talk about how he didn't want anyone to get hurt. I've been in the wrestling business for 13 years now. And the wrestling business has been my whole life. But last week, after I did what I did to Dan Severn, And I looked into his eyes. I saw my wife and my two children. I never really meant for anyone to ever get hurt. And I am so sorry for what I did. And after that, Owen is unable to finish his promo, so he leaves the ring and walks backstage, giving Edge the victory via forfeit. We then go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we see Owen wheeling his bag out of the arena. Michael Cole attempts to get a word with him, but instead Owen says, quote, It's over. I'm done. It's over. So, Bill, what did you think of Owen's promo and subsequent walkout? Like you said, it was actually kind of uh, creepy in hindsight. I don't even really have a joke to make about it. Probably probably for the best. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, this this stuff, this promo and the angle last week with Dan Severn, it's really, you know, they're, they're really making this a very dramatic sort of angle with Owen. Like, he's, it almost seems, they're making it as though he's, like, questioning his ability to even perform in the ring anymore. And it feels like they could have gone somewhere with this, with the way they're going about it, because the crowd totally bought it last week when they did the fake injury angle. And they were chanting, I think, Owen at one point when he was giving his... Uh, his promo here. So it, it seems like he's actually starting to get the crowd behind him and get a little sympathy. And yeah, seems I'm like not going to spoil it, okay. but uh, I won't spoil it for next week, but they go in a completely different direction. Let's just say that. Yeah. It only seems weird to me when they do the angles where it's like, Oh, I accidentally hurt somebody. So now I'm sad. Um, it does seem like it would have been a way to give him a, a real good face turn. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just always weird to me. Yeah, especially from the perspective of a pro wrestler, it's kind of like, I injured my opponent, I'm sad about it. It's like, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do as a wrestler? And you're supposed to injure your opponents? Yeah. Shouldn't you be patting yourself on the back for doing that? So I, I do I want mean, to especially be like, run, like, Owen, run away, stay away. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Yeah, I was thinking that too when he was like, I'm done. I'm like, oh, if, if only you had been done at this point, you know, it might have been the, the better option. But uh, I mean, especially Owen of all people, like he's kind of been like that sort of um, sniveling heel in the past. It seems like he would be a guy who, if he did injure his opponent, as he, again, as he legitimately did one year prior when he did injure Austin, it wasn't like he was doing the same sort of thing where he was questioning his career. Instead, he was wearing a shirt that said, Owen 316 says, I just broke your neck. Right, exactly. Yeah, so we already know how he would react in this situation, but they decide to go the other way where it's like, nah, I'm, I'm too distraught to even continue wrestling, so... Strange, very strange choice. But, and again, stay tuned next week. It, uh, Bill, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you probably know where this angle goes. I had forgotten where that this was exactly what led into the next thing. But yeah, find out next week on the Raw Attitude Podcast or next time on the Raw Attitude Podcast because uh, it didn't exactly go the direction you were expecting, I'm guessing. So, fun stuff. So we then headed back to the arena where it was time for our next match, Ken Shamrock versus Kane. And when Kane makes his entrance, we see a quick split screen where Vince McMahon is apparently watching Raw from his hospital room, which is pretty impressive considering this episode was taped six days in advance. (laughs) If that hospital room somehow had access to a live feed of a Raw taping on a Tuesday night, I would be quite impressed. And also when Shamrock enters, Jim Ross informs us that the world's most dangerous man has started to turn against the fans a little bit lately. And if you need an example of that, when Raw was in Detroit last week, he cut a promo where he said, quote, I don't like Detroit much, so it appears that Shamrock may be channeling his darker side. However, though, tonight he's fighting Kane, who is one of the biggest heels on the roster, so who knows. And as much as I hate to say it, unfortunately, it seemed like these two didn't have too much chemistry in the ring together. They were given quite a bit of time to have a match, but it just didn't really seem to click. And a few minutes in, The Undertaker walked down the ramp and headed to ringside. Now, remember that Taker and Kane will face each other for the title at Judgment Day in two weeks, so the underlying question here would be, is Taker now at ringside to provide backup for his brother, or does he have a more nefarious plan? Well, as it turns out, the answer was a bit unclear. So with Shamrock down on the canvas, Kane climbed to the top rope. The Undertaker then jumped up on the ring apron, and when Shamrock got to his feet, he took a swing at Taker, The dead man then jumped down to the floor, but when he did, Jim Ross played up the notion that Taker pulled the top rope, which resulted in Kane being crotched on the turnbuckle. And from there, The Undertaker headed backstage, and Shamrock capitalized on Kane being dropped on his big red schlong by climbing the turnbuckle, putting him in a bear hug, and then hitting Kane with a top rope belly-to-belly suplex, which did indeed look quite awesome. From there, the referee counted, and sure enough, Shamrock got the one, the two, and the three. And that's a pretty big win because by my count, that makes Shamrock only the fourth man to ever pin Kane after Undertaker, Stone Cold, and The Rock. So pretty elite company there. However, we're left with a question here. Did The Undertaker accidentally drop his brother on his dick or was it intentional? So Bill, what were your thoughts on Kane Shamrock and The Undertaker's interference? I mean, that was some masterful psychology there where the way The Undertaker, you know, was he, wasn't he? And that superplex, damn. Oh, yeah. That was some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you said, they didn't have great chemistry, and I I think at this point maybe Shamrock, although a great fighter, it's kind of showing he's not that great of a worker, yeah. um, especially against somebody who is the big lumbering monster type. Right. But, yeah, the finish was great. Yeah, absolutely. At first, though, when they the way they played it up, like, so – Undertaker was up on the ring apron and Ken Shamrock kind of like lunged at him and Taker dropped down to the ground. 
And I thought at that point they were playing it up as though, like, Shamrock accidentally, like, you know, hit the rope and he's the one who crotched Kane. Mm-hmm. But then the announcers were basically saying, no, the Undertaker, when the Undertaker dropped down, he, he shook the ropes. So, yeah, I, it was just kind of a little bit strange at first because I was like, it, it, it seemed like they, they played it up like Undertaker intentionally dropped Kane on his dick. But when it played out in real time, it just looked like it was a result of Shamrock hitting the top rope that knocked Kane on his big red tallywhacker. So, who knows? I guess that's why why Jim Ross and Lawler are are there to to shed a little bit of light on it. But you know, we talk about uh, Lawler and Lawler and Jr. so much, um, and we remember them being great commentators. But we got this gem of WWF gold is thicker than blood. It's like no shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't miss King anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, in the next match too, Jim Ross has a couple of uh, botches, which I'm going to touch on in just a moment. But well, let's just—I guess—we'll get right into it. Well, before we do, we go backstage where we see Terry Runnels looking down, and from there, Val Venus pops up into frame to tell her that he found her wedding ring. The kitty cat was playing with it, and yet again, Val is using an unseen kitten as his excuse for going down on Terry. And suddenly, I'm starting to think the dialogue for these Val Terry segments may be worse than actual porn dialogue at this point. Well, yeah, because why? Why would the ring be there? That that doesn't stand to yeah. any logic at all. Right. If if he's using kitty cat as the analogy for for pussy har har, yeah, then it would be like yeah. So her wedding ring was she was inside yeah, of her. She just had it up, up against her cervix for some reason. I yeah. <laughs> Maybe she sat down and it was uh, uncomfortable. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, anatomy. But this does provide us with a fitting segue, because after a commercial break, it is time for our next match. Val Venus, accompanied by Terry, versus Gangrel, who is accompanied by the man we now know as Edge's brother, Christian. And amusingly, when Terry walks to the ring, it appears that she stumbles several times because she's wearing very high heels. She teetered a little bit, but she didn't go down, so to speak. Maybe it was just that ring up there that was making her not walk right. (laughs) That's right. It's good for equilibrium, I think. Right. Little known fact. Also, Bill, were you as disappointed as I was when Gangrel entered from backstage through a cloud of smoke as opposed to his usual ring of fire entrance? Absolutely, yeah. That was one of the best parts about Gangrel. Oh my god, probably the best part. But yeah, it, it was it was so jarring because like they had the flat entrance ramp this week instead of the stage. So he just kinda like at one point just like pokes his head out from, from behind <laughs> the curtain and it was like, Oh man, so I mean to their credit they did have like a little like a candelabra type setup there too, which was nice, but it's like, yeah, I was expecting the, the ring of fire entrance. Come on. So anyway, Christian, by the way, is dressed the same as Gangrel, complete with a puffy pirate shirt, but sadly he does not take part in Gangrel's pre-match blood-drinking ritual. That would have been rather nice, perhaps another time. So interestingly, during this match, Jim Ross refers to Val and Gangrel as youngsters, even though Gangrel is presumably immortal. <laughs> but then JR says, JR says, quote, Yes, they'll make mistakes, but that's one of the exciting things about watching their careers develop here. And then, hilariously, just a few seconds later, J.R. refers to Christian as Christopher. So clearly, <laughs> it's not just not just the new guys making mistakes. Yeah, no kidding. And yeah, <laughs> he does that like three times. He does. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Shortly thereafter, of course, Edge makes his way through the crowd and walks over to Christopher. A uh, Christian, excuse me. <laughs> and for and for the record, Bill, this is the first time we've ever seen Edge and Christian face to face. So you're clearly here for a very special episode. Absolutely. So Edge can be heard asking Christian, what are you doing with him? And when Gangrel sees this, he rolls out of the ring and hits Edge with a DDT on the floor. 
Gangrel and Christian then start putting the boots to edge, and yes, once again, Jim Ross calls Christian Christopher. <laughs> and meanwhile, referee Earl Hebner continues counting while Gangrel is outside the ring, resulting in a countout victory for Val Venus. And after the match, Val and Terry celebrate in the ring by grinding all over each other, but they end up being interrupted by a man dressed as a movie theater usher. He hands a golden envelope to Val, and then, as you might expect, gold dust music begins to play, and literal gold dust starts falling from the ceiling. However, for the second week in a row, gold dust himself does not appear, but we do get a voiceover. He says that what Val received was an invitation to his world premiere, which will take place next week on Raw. So there you have it, folks. Gold Dust returns next week, which I'm sure probably did not endear him to the fans at Michigan State on this night. But anyway, Bill, what did you think of Gangrel versus Val Venus, Edge and Christian being face-to-face, and Gold Dust taunting the man who is banging his wife? Was it weird that we had a porn star gimmick wrestling a future porn director? Oh, wow. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. I just... Synchronicity, I guess. Why didn't Gangrel cast him in one of his movies? Exactly. That would have been a I, that would have been a decent storyline right there. Yeah, I think literally his didn't he call the company like literally like the Porn World Order or something like that? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. I I'm ashamed that I know that, but I think that is what he called his porn company. <laughs> I just because when I saw the Gangrel, obviously I did some digging when I heard Gangrel became a porn director. So you know, I mean, well, yeah, you know, it's it's research clearly. Absolutely, absolutely, I'll back you up on that. Yeah, and I think they played out the surprise of Goldust showing up. A little bit much. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a golden movie usher. Duh. Yeah. Oh, who could it be? It's it's the process server just dressed in a different costume now. Exactly. Well, right. It probably was, actually. Yeah. Serving uh, serving uh, Val Venus with sexual harassment papers. Exactly. Um, also, I, I, can you have a world premiere when your character has already existed for three years? Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. That's not, that's not really a premiere. That's not how they work. Yeah. More like a sequel at this point. Yeah. See, that would have worked. Yeah. Goldust 2, the re-Goldusting. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Still better than what they did. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's good to see um, Edge and Christian in the very early going where they're still brothers. I always get a kick out of that because I think eventually they're basically just like, no, nah, we're not We're not brothers. We're just like best friends. Yeah, we're, we're I, just I forget like when brothers. that stops being canon. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. We just have the same hair, but we're not brothers. <laughs> so And yeah, Val Venus versus Gangrel, not, not too much to the match. Obviously, he didn't get very much time. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the Goldust uh, Goldust re premiere next week or Goldust sequel. We'll see how that plays out. I've already watched it. I won't say I won't say how it goes, but uh, yeah, he does indeed show up next week, and he he curses quite loudly at one point in a not very safe for TV manner. So excellent. Yes, he, we do get a Goldust fuck you on live television. So <laughs> nice. Oh yes. So we then cut to footage from last night on Sunday Night Heat, where Stone Cold Steve Austin joined the commentary team and threatened Shane McMahon due to his father's actions. From there, Austin then interfered in a match between Jeff Jarrett and The Rock when he hit both Jarrett and Dennis Knight with stunners, and then, awesomely, Stone Cold and The Rock stared each other down in the middle of the ring as the show went off the air, and I repeat, we had a Rock-Austin stare-down on fucking Sunday Night Heat. So clearly that show is still going strong two months in. We then cut back to the hospital where Vince McMahon is displeased with the care he's getting, so he requests another nurse. And frankly, I can't say I blame him, especially since this nurse let mankind waltz on into Vince's room after he was threatening staff members. Yeesh. That lady wasn't even dressed as a nurse. She was dressed like a doctor. She had the long white coat. Yeah, she coat. was, yeah. 
Maybe that's just sexism that he was calling her nurse when she's probably like, yeah, I'm, I'm a doctor. I went to med school for like 10 fucking years. Right. You know? <laughs> I also like that and he was yelling cut- for pain medicine. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And then we cut back to the arena for our next match. Al Snow, accompanied by Head, versus Jeff Jarrett, who is without Southern Justice, as well as his usual guitar. So early on in the match, Al Snow's nemesis, Commissioner Slaughter, headed to ringside and began having a conversation with referee Jack Doan, which allowed Double J to whack Al in the back of the head with a pretty brutal-looking chair shot. That one really did look quite painful. Slaughter continued distracting Doan at various points, and the commission would make his presence felt again toward the end of the match. So Al grabbed Head and went to the top rope, potentially to hit Jarrett with it somehow, I suppose. But before he could do so, Slaughter jumped up on the ring apron and started shaking the rope in full view of Jack Doan, causing Al to get crotched on the top turnbuckle. And from there, Doan proceeded to disqualify Jarrett, which seemed like a dumb move because had Slaughter just let Al hit Jarrett with head, Al would have lost via disqualification instead of winning by DQ. And it was at this point that I stopped trying to figure out the logic of this match because everything started to get dark and all I could smell was burnt toast. (laughs) And also, this is the second straight match tonight. Not the second straight match, but it's the second match tonight where someone getting dropped on their dick on the top turnbuckle directly played into the finish of the match since we just saw the same thing happen to Kane earlier. I think the explanation here is, um, bro, I swear to God, we need more finishes where guys land on their tallywhackers. It's relatable. (laughs) And anyway, after the match, Slaughter and Jarrett proceeded to walk backstage together, and Slaughter actually had a very smug look on his face as though he was proud of himself for some reason. So, Bill, what did you think of Al Snow versus Jeff Jarrett and Commissioner Slaughter's nonsensical interference? Well, first and foremost, the brawl on the outside was way longer than a 10 count. That should have, <laughs> yeah. that should have been the finish right there. Very true, very true. Um, but I suppose being commissioner, he could get away with whatever he wanted, and the ref wasn't gonna yeah. wasn't gonna call a disqualification or count out. But yeah, it, I agree. It was weird that he seemed like he cared about Jeff Jarrett enough to interfere, whereas he could have just let Al Snow lose. Yeah, because what's what's the skin off his chin if he if Jeff Jarrett gets knocked out? <laughs> that, that's a lot of skin if we're going off his chin. I think R- so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, that was. That was something, I suppose. Al Snow, I, I think, I just, I, I can't stand Al Snow. I, I'm, I'm probably in the minority. I mean, it, the, the thing was cute for a little while, but I just, I just can't stand him. And uh, Commissioner Slaughter, this is one thing I'm noticing having done like Raw, you know, every single week over the past year. Number one, I didn't realize he was still commissioner this long into his tenure. And number two, for for a while now, for for several months actually, Slaughter has basically been like the de facto third stooge along with Patterson and Briscoe, which I had completely forgot because when we think of the stooges, we just think of Patterson and Briscoe typically. Right. But Slaughter has basically been acting as Vince's third stooge for about four or five months now. So that's just one aspect that I, I thought was kind of interesting looking back was how much, uh, how active he was as a part of, as you know, like one of Vince's henchmen yep. essentially. Yep. So He's always there. Yeah. He absolutely is. And I don't know when that stops either. And I don't know when he stops being commissioner because I thought he was already I thought he was already done at this point. So I guess he's still got a little life left in that gimmick. So our next match was Road Dog Jesse James, accompanied by X-Pac versus Mark Henry, accompanied by your new WWF European champion, D'Lo Brown. So if you recall last week, Billy Gunn got in Road Dog's face after Dog intentionally got them disqualified during their match against Southern Justice when he hit Dennis Knight with a guitar. 
Mr. S then proceeded to shove Road Dog, accidentally poke X-Pac in the eye, ignore Triple H's peacekeeping efforts, and shoulder China out of his way. An angry Billy then exited the arena by himself, leaving behind his DX comrades. And this week, instead of Mr. Ass accompanying Road Dog to the ring, he has brought a blow-up doll dressed like Billy with him instead, which he refers to as Mona for some reason. Or Mrs. Also Ass. The... <laughs> or Mrs. Ass. Yeah, there you go. That would have been a good gimmick if somebody got Mrs. Ass. And also, the D-O-double-G is holding both of their WWF tag team titles himself, so it seems clear that these two have not reconciled since we last saw them one week ago. So before the match begins, we see that Jerry Lawler has one of the papers that China crumpled up earlier tonight, and it states that Mark Henry is indeed suing China for sexual harassment. Now, obviously this is a completely absurd storyline, because if someone really did sexually harass someone else in the WWF in 1998... Uh, Vince would just fire the person who made the accusations. I mean, come on. That's that's common sense. So as for the Mark Henry Road Dog match, the majority of it consisted of the world's strongest man easily manhandling Jesse James. And at one point, Road Dog went to bounce off the ropes, but D'Lo Brown grabbed his foot and tripped him. X-Pac then walked toward D'Lo, so he started backing up the ramp, which allowed China to emerge from backstage and sneak up on him. She nailed D'Lo with a forearm and then began to distract referee Tim White, and that enabled X-Pac to sneak into the ring behind Mark Henry. And somehow, Pac managed to hit Henry with an X-Factor, which is pretty impressive considering that he weighs about a third of what Mark Henry does. So when Tim White finally turned around, Road Dog pinned Henry and scored the three count, which actually got a really nice-sized pop from the crowd, so clearly the fans are just fine with Road Dog being on his own. So, Bill, what did you think of Road Dog versus Mark Henry with China interfering and no Mr. Ass in sight? I agree. The X Factor on Mark Henry was weird, especially after we saw him catch him earlier. He right. should have just kind of hung there on Mark Henry, uh, but then we couldn't have finished the match the way we did. But yeah, the the crowd was crazy for Road Dog um, when he yeah. hit when he hit his juke and jive. There was some kid in the front row just losing his shit <laughs> to a degree that was completely unwarranted. <laughs> I wonder if that I wonder if they like looked at this match and they were like, "Oh shit, we fucked up. We were trying to get Billy Gunn over, but the crowd loves Road Dog way more." Oh shit. So without spoiling too much, this angle also gets resolved next week. The breakup of the of the Outlaws. Basically a two-week angle, so <laughs> it's it's interesting. And the explanation that is given is is not very good. But in my estimation, I think they're basically like, oh, shit, you know, we uh, we were really pushing for the Billy Gunn singles push, and now well, we've just decided to, uh, to not do that. So at least I should say not yet because it'll it'll get there. Billy Gunn will still end up getting a substantial push, or they'll try to give him one anyway. Oh, they'll, they'll continue to try to break up successful tag teams and – yeah. Make the big guy popular. Apparently, they're still doing that these days, I've heard. Yeah, say spoiler alert, that still happens. Yeah. So we then got a quick cut back to the hospital where Vince McMahon says, quote, Nurse, how about some more juice? And I couldn't help but get a chuckle out of that because I think, how about some more juice, was probably what Vince said to every wrestler in the late 80s and early 90s when they asked him how they could get a push <laughs> with the company. Hey, Vince, how can, I, how can I get an intercontinental title push? How about some more juice? Yeah, well, there, there you go. And after a commercial break, we then go right back to the hospital once again, where the nurse is now checking Vince McMahon's blood pressure as a doctor is seen walking around in the background. And from there, well, I'll just play the clip for you here, because it's one of the more famous moments from the Attitude Era's most famous rivalry. I can't wait to get out of here. 
there. Is it normal? Yes, it looks real good. Yeah, it's real good. Much. Looks just fine to me. How about you, doctor? Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. Okay, so if you've never seen this segment before, here are a few things that went on during that clip. Now, obviously, it ends up being revealed that the doctor who was lurking in the background was, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin in disguise. He then proceeds to beat the shit out of a tidy whitey wearing Vince, including punching his injured leg, which resulted in that loud scream from the chairman. Austin also used the defibrillator to electrocute Mr. McMahon, and at the very end, in a moment which I forgot had happened, Austin bent Vince over the hospital bed and seemingly shoved an enema up his ass. So much like the title of a future WWF CD, Stone Cold Engaged, in some forcible entry. However, <laughs> however, what most people remember from this segment is the moment when Austin is beating on Vince and he smacks him in the head with a bedpan, resulting in a loud clang. And in fact, at the tail end of this podcast, I'm going to play a clip from one of Stone Cold's DVDs where he talks about how he was rehearsing finding the sweet spot of the bedpan in advance so he would know exactly where to hit <laughs> Vince when the time came. As if you needed any further evidence as to what a perfectionist Steve Austin is. Um... <laughs> But anyway, Bill, what did you think of Stone Cold attacking Vince McMahon in the hospital? I had forgotten about how much I just love Steve Austin. Um, <laughs> this, On paper, this is dumb. <laughs> I mean, why is there a defibrillator in the room? Right. Why is the IV hooked up to an enema or a douche or whatever it was? <laughs> like, that's not how those things work. Yeah. Actually, it's funny and you yet, say that. Because like, in the clip I'm going to play at the end, Mick Foley makes the point where like the whole time you can hear the heart monitor beeping for Vince. And he's like, why does he need a heart monitor for a broken leg? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but all that, frankly, crap around him, Steve Austin still makes it so much fun. Oh, my God. I'll take it from here, nurse. <laughs> exactly. So good. <laughs> oh, it's it's so good. I actually, uh, it's funny. Like I was, uh, you know, obviously watching this episode, and uh, my my wife walked by it at this very moment, and I was, she was like, um, "Oh, what are you, you know, what are you watching?" I was like, "This is one of the more famous moments from the Attitude Era. Want to see what happens?" And she actually got a kick out of seeing Vince McMahon get his ass kicked because she only knows like the modern day Vince McMahon, who's obviously. I was going to say he's not taking many bumps, but he did just take a, a headbutt from Kevin Owens pretty recently. So, <laughs> right. Uh, but she was like, she kind of developed a new level of respect for Vince, like getting his ass kicked by uh, by Stone Cold in the hospital. So, <laughs> so I guess I guess what I can say is we can officially say this moment still holds up 19 years later. Oh, absolutely. And again, the thing the thing with Austin shoving the enema up Vince's ass, I I did not remember that part at all. 
And it's actually amusingly played next week where, where Vince McMahon's cutting a promo and he literally says, you violated me, Austin. And of course, when he says that, the crowd gives a massive pop. They're like, yeah, he raped him. Woo. <laughs> Austin committed sexual assault. Woo. The stuff you can get away with in the Attitude Era. Yes. <laughs> also, another spoiler for the next episode, Vince McMahon utters the phrase, my rectal area. So <laughs> one more thing for you to look forward to. But yeah, a classic segment and still still very funny. And the fact that he that he gets that clang off the bedpan, I mean, that all that oh, rehearsal was clearly worth it. It absolutely was. That's that is the part I remember. I forgot about the defibrillators. You know, I, I kinda remembered whether he stabbed him with an IV yeah. or what exactly happened. Right. I remember the clang for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I still got I still chuckled at that because it, it's just so perfect. He just nails him with it and that that clang is fantastic. Like you would think almost that like they went back and added it in post production. I, I know they didn't, but it's just like so perfect. You must be you're I'm like watching it like wow, that was that was clearly, you know, he, he definitely found the sweet spot on that bedpan. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, thumbs up. Well, maybe that's poor choice of words, I guess, <laughs> yeah. for what happened to Vince, but <laughs> thumbs up for the segment. Absolutely, so, yes. Absolutely. So, pretty hard act to follow there, but I must say, they certainly do a damn good job, because our final match of the evening is The Rock versus The Undertaker. That That's not a bad main event, huh? Not, how is that on t- free TV? I know, it's, it's pretty crazy, actually. So early on in the match, Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown walk to the ring, which was interesting to see because even though the Nation of Domination is technically still together, we haven't seen The Rock side-by-side with his Nation cohorts in several weeks since he started his face turn. So Rock obviously now firmly in babyface territory, but Mark Henry and D'Lo are quite clearly still heels, so this does need a bit of a resolution. And speaking of spectators arriving arriving on the scene, I should say, shortly after Mark Henry and D'Lo make their appearance... Kane also walks down to ringside, so Rock immediately noticed the Big Red Machine and became distracted by him, which allowed The Undertaker to hit Rock with a choke slam, or, as Jim <laughs> Ross called it on two separate occasions, a power slam. So good old JR clearly not on his A-game tonight. If you listen closely, you can actually hear my eyes rolling on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and so interestingly, right after Taker hits that power slam, Mark Henry and D'Lo appear to be quite intimidated by Kane, so they leave the ringside area and walk right back to the locker room. Clearly, they don't know their roles. So the match continued on with Taker mostly on the offensive, although I will say I did pop when The Rock started to mount a comeback, because at one point Taker ducked down for a backdrop, but The Rock busted out a sunset flip. Now, I was pretty shocked to see him utilize that move at this stage in his career, but it was quite the nice surprise, Rock doing a sunset flip out of nowhere. It's like, all right, why not? So toward the end of the match, Rock Irish whipped Taker into one of the corners, but referee Earl Hebner was standing there, and the impact caused Hebner to get knocked out. Rock and Taker then went to clothesline each other, resulting in both of them being knocked to the canvas, and with the referee unconscious, Kane then grabbed a steel chair. When both men recovered, Taker tried to Irish whip Rock off the ropes, but Rock reversed it, and when Taker ran in front of Kane... The Big Red Machine smacked his own brother in the back with the steel chair. Kane then threw the chair in the ring and walked backstage. So Rock then attempted to pin Taker, but Earl Hebner was still knocked out. Rock checked on Hebner, but while he was doing that, The Undertaker did his Michael Myers zombie sit-up routine, and Taker then picked up Rock for a tombstone and dropped him headfirst right on top of the steel chair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. The Undertaker was then able to successfully revive Hebner, who counted the one, 
the two, and the three. And after that, we went off the air with Taker angrily staring toward the backstage area, presumably in the direction of Kane. So, Bill, what did you think of this Rock Undertaker main event, the cameo appearances by Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown, and Kane attempting to cost his own brother the match after they've been united over the past two months? Yeah, the, the uh, Kane and Undertaker thing was a lot more clear-cut. You know, it wasn't as, as well-planned. Right. D'Lo and uh, Mark Henry, we kind of saw enough of them tonight. Yeah. They but got quite right, a few segments. They did, too. But when it came right down to just watching The Rock and Undertaker go at it, it was great. Like you said, the sunset flip. Watching Undertaker, uh, still relatively young, going old school. Yeah. Wasn't even, it wasn't even old school at the time. Yeah. Just walking the ropes. That's right. Um, I forgot how great that was back in the day. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, although shenanigans, it was still a great match. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Definitely. And I was actually surprised at the result because I thought – I thought that, you know, Kane would cost Taker the match, like Taker cost him the match, because with Rock right now on this babyface ascent, I thought for sure you're not going to have to Rock, you know, lose the match because you want to, you know, give him more momentum. But yeah, sure enough, they they had Rock job out to uh, to uh, Taker. That, not necessarily job out, because obviously there was, you know, right. there, there were some shenanigans. But I mean, even with Kane's help, Rock didn't beat The Undertaker, so. Um, well, the Rock was, as they declared, as they kept saying, uh, the number one contender, which... I don't know that's accurate if you don't have a, tie, a champion and right. two two other people wrestling for it. See, you know, at this point, last week when when uh, Taker and Kane, you know, when they were both, you know, one of them was supposed to be awarded the title, Vince should have just given the title to The Rock right there, you know? I mean, I suppose that would make the most logical sense, but it's it's not the logic era of wrestling, it's the attitude era. Yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it's definitely not the logic era, that's <laughs> Not <sure>. at all. <laughs> And, of course, at this point, Vince is obviously still, I think he's no fan of The Rock at this point either. But, I mean, that would make sense if he's like, well, Taker and Kane, you can protect me, so I'm giving the belt to the number one contender. But, you know, that's that's not a good way to start a title run if you're just handed the belt by the boss, I suppose. So Yeah, no. Although, I mean, that is how one of Triple H's title reigns starts in uh, in 2002, I think. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, it happens. Yeah, but that's post-attitude error. That doesn't, that doesn't count. That doesn't matter. So, good stuff there. But we are not done yet. There's still more to cover. So, with that in mind... Let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed MCs back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Because I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they pluckin'. The WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The Ratings Recap So coming into tonight, the WWF was on a two-week winning streak over Nitro, but since tonight's episode of Raw was pre-taped, that would seemingly be beneficial to WCW, since Nitro is always live, and the results of their show have not been available on the internet for six days. So with that being said, Bill, tonight's matchup was one of the closest in the entire history of the Monday Night Wars. So on this night, Nitro scored a rating of 4.546, and Raw scored a 4.549. That's right. Raw Oof. won the ratings by .003. Talk about a fucking photo finish. And I no can't kidding. say it I can't say it 100% for certain, but I feel confident in saying that as soon as those results came in, Eric Bischoff smashed every single object in his office. I'm going to go <laughs> ahead. I'm going to guarantee that that happened. So as always, for a point of comparison, here's what you could have been watching over on Nitro on this night. 
Saturn defeated Lismark Jr., and I believe Randy Savage was once a big Lismark himself. <laughs> Ernest, <laughs> Ernest the Cat Miller, that's a terrible joke. Uh, <laughs> Ernest the Cat Miller defeated Kaz Hayashi. Juventud Guerrera defeated Jerry Flynn, not Jerry Lynn. Wrath defeated Viano 5. Hector Garza versus Damien went to a no contest, presumably because Garza was attempting to wrestle Jake Roberts' snake. Kidman defeated Psychosis to retain his cruiserweight championship, and as a quick side note, Chris Benoit was clearly never able to defeat Psychosis, if you know what I mean. Rick Steiner, unnecessary. Unnecessary. <laughs> that, that, uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick Steiner defeated Brian Adams. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Canyon by disqualification. The Disciple defeated Lenny Lane. And in your main event, Bret Hart versus Sting went to a no contest, so the Hitman retained his United States Championship. Now, another noteworthy moment from this show was Kevin Nash going to a local bar in search of Scott Hall, and when he finds him, he brawls with him on top of a pool table and then shoves Hall's face into a toilet bowl behind closed doors and off-camera for some reason, because clearly, when your best friend is rapidly descending into full-blown alcoholism, the best thing to do is humiliate him instead of helping him. So we got some splendid life lessons there from WCW. But Bill, perhaps the real quote-unquote highlight from this show is a segment which I feel comfortable calling one of the dumbest in wrestling history. So after the Disciple defeats Lenny Lane, he cuts a promo telling Hulk Hogan that he is now his own man thanks to the guidance of the Warrior, and Disciple then storms off backstage. So Hogan and Bischoff attempt to follow him, and they end up going into a dressing room which contains a large mirror on the wall, and from there, buckle the fuck up, because the craziness is about to begin. <laughs> so Hogan looks in the mirror, and we then see what is basically a hologram of the warrior in front of him in the mirror, which is supposed to be set up as though we, the audience, are seeing Hogan's hallucination. Now that would be bizarre enough, but then Tony Schiavone, Larry Zbysko, and the late great Bobby Heenan all acknowledge that they can see Warrior in the mirror too. So Hogan then starts talking to Warrior in the mirror, but Eric Bischoff asks him who he's talking to. So by the logic of this segment, even though this is Hulk Hogan's personal hallucination, everyone can see the warrior, except for Bischoff. And yet they play this up as though Hogan is going insane, when he is quite obviously not insane, because we can all see the same thing that he can. And in fact, this segment may actually prove that Bischoff is the one who is insane, or at the very least, in need of a new pair of glasses. And just so you, that you'll believe me that this actually happened, I'm going to go ahead and play the clip for you here right now so you can take a listen to all this lunacy. Hey, he was just here! I saw him come in here! You saw him come in here! It's that warrior. Look, look at that! Look at it What the? What? Look at... He's in the wall! He's in the mirror! So, Bill, with all of that craziness going on, does that sound like an episode of Nitro you would have liked to have watched? Um, I actually did watch it. Did um, you really? Yeah, I did. The whole thing? Yep. 
All three hours while wow, you're a trooper. I did. Yeah, I was I was bored on a Saturday, and so I decided to sit down and see what was going to happen. And although WCW's undercard is actually really good, yeah, um, I forgot how much I love Saturn. Yeah, before but, he had his face tattoo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the ending. I mean, I guess it should come to no surprise that Barrick, Barrick, just, um, that Eric Bischoff is the crazy one because <laughs> yeah. we saw how things turned out. That's right. <laughs> Um, oh but yeah, God. that was just so lame. Yeah, of all those, Matt, was the I'm actually curious as to whether the uh, the Bret Hart versus Sting main event was was worth watching. Well, I I don't remember it really well, and my notes say half an hour of NWO bullshit. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very accurate for the time. I mean, at this point, we're like almost two and a half years into the NWO. It's it's clearly starting to lose its luster a little yeah. bit, you know. Well, yeah. the uh, the Damian uh, Hector Garza match, no contest, was actually because uh, Eddie Guerrero came out with his glorious mullet. Oh, of course. Um, to start the LWO tonight. Oh, so, excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously they've started running out of uh, steam when there's the red and black and the white and black and the LWO. and. Oh, well, I, I will say that whole thing with Eddie Guerrero, the, the, I think they actually played, they started playing this up. About two months ago, when Eddie uh, threw the coffee on himself and cut that work shoot promo against Eric Bischoff, where he's like, "I want out of my contract," blah blah blah, and then basically they played off because he's been cutting some you know more quasi shoot promos over the past couple of weeks directed at Eric Bischoff. Right. So yeah, that that's the payoff is basically instead of you know Eddie Guerrero becoming this uh, maybe sort of like rebel anti hero or something like that. Yeah, it's it leads to the LWO. So right, great. I'm wondering like you know. Warrior has OWN, which is NWO backwards. So if somebody wanted to oppose the LWO, would that group be called OWL? Who would be in it? Uh, <laughs> oh, that was that was bad. I apologize. No, it was good. <laughs> and actually, well, I suppose there already is a wrestling company that has an OWL, so maybe that's uh, one too many, I suppose. <laughs> right. So with that being said, let's take it to the Raw synopsis. So Bill, overall, what were your thoughts on this episode of Monday Night Raw. I enjoyed the hell out of it, actually. Nice. Um, although there's a lot of blunders, there's a lot of logic that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, to go back and see wrestlers I liked, you know, gimmicks I enjoyed, and actually watching it uh, play out in very entertaining ways. I, I can't watch the modern project. Yeah, I'm sorry. I fucked that all up. Quite I right. can't watch the modern uh, product anymore. I, I really can't, can't either. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the exact same way. And this was the most enjoyable, well, ultimately five hours of wrestling <laughs> that I've watched in, I can't even tell you how long. I, I cannot agree with you more. Like, it's such a breath of fresh air watching these Attitude Era Raws, specifically at this point, because right now they're really, like, as as we just talked about with the ratings, they're neck and neck with Nitro every week. So they're really, you know, giving them their fastball every single week. Like, this episode was pretty chaotic. Last week's episode was maybe one of the most chaotic episodes of Raw I've ever seen where you just don't know what the hell is going to happen next, where they just throw all these things together, like Austin and the Zamboni, and then Vince getting his leg broken. And oh, by the way, now Goldust is coming back. And oh, Dan Severn almost got his fucking neck broken. So like they just throw all these things out there where it's like, we dare you to, to look away. You know, we dare you to switch over to Nitro because if you do, you're going to miss some fucking crazy shit. So this exactly. Yeah, watching these past couple... Basically, every every episode of Raw from, like, mid-September up to now has been really high quality, which is, you know, fantastic. So, 
yeah, it's it's definitely been enjoyable. Now, I, I know things are going to change a little bit when it gets to 1999 and they just ramp up the insanity, <laughs> seemingly. <laughs> but as of right now, because they're so neck and neck with Nitro, they're just pulling out these these crazy stops, and it's almost all of it is working quite well. And top to bottom, I mean, when you look at the um, when you look at the mid card as well right now, where you've got Dilo as the European champion, and he's I think entertaining as hell, and he's just matched up against X Pac, which again that matchup happens quite a bit throughout the fall. And is great. I, I really enjoy. You know, I could see D'Lo and X Pac have have as many matches as they want because I like both those guys, and that's you know very Absolutely. very solid. And then you got Edge and Christian, you got Gangrel in the mix too. You got Val Venus and Goldust. It's you know it's lower on the card. It's not main event angles, but they're entertaining lower card angles. And obviously the top here, you got exactly. Austin, so you're good to go. Things are happening. It's not just the same crap week to week. Yep, absolutely. It's not uh, it's not fifty fifty booking. Like Austin is not taking a lot of pinfall losses leading Absolutely. up to a pay per view. In fact, he's taking no pinfall losses leading up yeah. to a pay per view. Austin it, it, it is Superman. He just he walks in and he kills anything in front of him, and and we enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it worked for Goldberg for that for God's sake. Oh, big time, yeah. And, and I don't know why we can't still do stuff like that. It's a very fair point. But yeah, actually, when Austin took that pinfall loss, I mean, it was granted he was getting pinned by Kane and Undertaker at the same time. But when he took that pinfall loss at breakdown, that had to have been a shock because when was the last time we saw Austin lose clean? You know, he lost the title in June to Kane, but that was a first blood match where he wasn't taking a pinfall, you know. So I can't even I can't even remember the last time that Austin actually took a clean pinfall loss before breakdown. It had to have been uh I'd I'd have to check, but I feel like it may be all the way to Canadian Stampede when Owen pinned him, but that wasn't even a one-on-one match, you know. So, well, even even there with Kane and Undertaker pinning him together, that's not exactly a clean pinfall. Right, that's true. Yeah, it's it's two guys at once, so it's you know it's two of the biggest monsters on the entire roster, the two biggest monsters pinning him. Exactly. So it's, it's not like there's shame in in him being beaten by the Brothers of Destruction at the same time, you know. So. It'd be like the modern day equivalent of uh, Braun Strowman and, and Brock Lesnar pinning somebody. That's right. Which I could I could buy that. I could buy that. Absolutely. If they, if they were to give you a double choke slam, I could buy that they would both pin you at the same time and you wouldn't kick out. Exactly. Exactly. And that would be interesting. Yeah, that's true. That, that would be pretty interesting. But yeah, the, actually, on that note too, I mean, this is basically. I think it's been since King of the Ring. So it's been since June. We've had five months now where it's June, July, August, September, October. Yeah, five months, five straight months where it's been some combination of Austin, Undertaker, and Kane in the main event. And they've done a great job of somehow keeping that fresh. Like this is basically half of 1998 consecutively is Austin versus Undertaker or Austin versus Kane. And it's it's still going like gangbusters. I mean, if you listen to the crowd last week when uh, when Austin attacked McMahon and then The Undertaker and Kane smashed Vince's leg, they're still hot for everything these guys are doing, you know, five months into this angle. So, oh, yeah, really? it's, it's really impressive. So, again, I, and I, I agree with you again. Thumbs up on this episode. Really great stuff. Definitely go check it out. Check out the October 5th, 1998 episode of Raw if you can. And basically check out any episode since September 14th when they had that ridiculous show that I called one of the greatest of all time uh, because I, I really think it was like they they knew they were going up against Ric Flair's return on Nitro so they were basically like well shit we're, we're throwing everything at this episode so it was yeah everything since then thumbs up so on that note I think we can uh, wrap this episode up and as always thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast 
I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or, of course, more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And, of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. So before we go, Bill, would you care to remind the fans of the Raw Attitude Podcast where they can catch you outside of this fine show? Uh, you can find us um, at tuningjapanese.com. And again, that's T-O-O-N-I-N-G. Um, we're a member of the Questionable Endeavor Network. As are we. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you can yeah, find us at uh, questionnetwork.com. And we even have a Questionable Endeavor Discord channel that you can find from there. Uh, chat with any of us hosts, and we're always on there saying some bullshit. <laughs> but it's not bullshit. It's good stuff. Oh, yeah. No, it's good good bullshit. Yeah. Oh, and again, what's the name of the, the anime you guys are covering now? It's uh, Gurren Lagan. Gurren uh, Lagan. G-U-R-R-E-N-L-A-G-A-A-N. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. So now if the fans want to check that anime out, they now they know how to do it. Although I, you obviously would recommend that they not do that, I assume. That would certainly be my recommendation. Um, <laughs> Andy and Josh seem to think you get something out of uh, watching the anime along with us, but uh, I think you can skip this one. <laughs> <laughs> but still listen to the show anyway, even if you don't Absolutely. watch the anime. Yeah, listen to the show and uh, enjoy me making fun of Josh and getting drunk and saying swear words. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, swear words, always good for a podcast really makes a difference a real fucking difference huge fucking difference huge fucking difference (laughs) now usually at this point of the show when there's a guest who comes on i ask if there's a special audio clip you want me to track down but as i understand it you already have a clip queued up for me and ready to go and this is legitimate by the way folks i have no idea what this clip is going to be but i have promised that i will play it so i'm just hoping that it's not too offensive no no actually i don't think it's offensive at all oh good okay Um, even better Although, I think you're going to violate somebody's IP by finding the absolute best version, <laughs> which is an impersonator of Morgan Freeman doing it. Oh, wow. Now, now I'm intrigued. Is this wrestling related or is it just a random clip? Nope, wrestling related. It is uh, Dusty Rhodes' legendary Hard Times promo. Oh, okay. But, Love yeah, it. You, that's, that's a great one. There's a, uh, there's a YouTube series out there, or YouTube videos out there that... They impersonate a celebrity and they do a classic wrestling promo. So they have uh, Christopher Walken doing the Ultimate Warriors promo versus Hogan. They have Schwarzenegger doing the Kane Dewey promo for Mick Foley. (laughs) But the Morgan Freeman doing Hard Times is absolutely the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh, nice. I'm looking forward to that. They kick you in the butt and give you a watch, take your job, whatever. I forget how it goes. Pretty much, pretty much. But I won't hold you to that one because I think you might be violating somebody's... uh, Somebody's copyright on that one, but yeah. That's fine. I'll give hard times for sure. <laughs> That's hard times. <laughs> so there you go. Be on the lookout for that. And also, as previously mentioned, in addition to Bill's clip, I'm going to play a soundbite from the DVD called Stone Cold Steve Austin, the bottom line on the most popular superstar of all time, where Austin and Vince discuss the bedpan incident. And of course, that's pretty great stuff. So once again, thank you very much to you, Bill, for joining the show. Uh, you think you'd be up for it again sometime? Anytime. I am, uh, I'm available anytime you need me. Awesome. <laughs> Love to hear it. So enjoy those clips, 
and I will catch you next time for the October 12th, 1998 episode of Monday Night Raw. See you then. There's so many I can't even count, but my all-time favorite had to be the bedpan incident with uh, Mr. McMahon. The hospital scene, though, was interesting. I mean, I had no idea what was coming. I was sitting there just like everyone else Mr. McMahon had when he was hooked up to a heart monitor and a respirator for a bruised ankle bone. Sounds good. Bring it in. you got to understand something. That was a stainless steel bedpan, and I'm going to whack him in the head pretty damn solid with that thing. Steve was like, I don't know about this, you know, I don't know about this bedpan, you know, you know, it's solid steel, you know, and I don't know if we want to clobber you with this, it'll be fine, Steve. So we're doing the Mick portion of the shoot, and I hear this banging, you know, and it's like, what is this ringing going on? So while Vince is uh, doing his thing over there, I'm over, you know, kind of bouncing that thing off my head, trying to find the sweet spot of that bedpan. You know, and yes, there is a sweet spot in a bedpan, and I need to find that right on Vince's skull. It's just fine to me. How about you, doctor? Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. No, 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 no. So, boy, we started going out, and I reached back to that bedpan, and I clocked him with everything I had. So he was convinced it was going to hurt enough, for sure, but maybe not too much. It had to look good, but I didn't want to kill the guy. And he clobbered me with that bedpan. It was a delicate thing to do to knock the shit out of him and not kill him. The sound of the bedpan clanging off the boss's head was just a classic. I had to actually take my headsets off so that everybody couldn't could hear how loud I was laughing. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor amongst thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around the country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them to go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job for 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, Hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard times. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard times. And we all had hard times together, I admit. I don't look like the athlete of the day he's supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hiney's just a little big. But brother, I am bad. And they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and his dead brother. And the other one's right here. Nature Boy Ric Flair, the world heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'ma reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now, reaching out because of the love that was given me and this time. I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour, 85.